Good morning, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that has just been read. And now we are pleading for your help. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to teach us in this moment to use the scriptures to shape us more into the image of your son. It's in his name we pray this prayer. Amen. I wonder, as you look back on the past couple of months, how many of your best laid plans have been either canceled, postponed, upended, or overturned? Maybe it was a vacation that you had planned for spring break or or this summer. Maybe you were planning on traveling to go visit a friend or a family member graduate. I know many of the couples in our church had planned a beautiful wedding ceremony for this time of year. But of course, they were all canceled or drastically altered. And for those of you who have experienced a layoff or a rescinded job offer, I know you never saw that coming. It wasn't in your plans. Well, friends, this morning, we're going to look at a few Proverbs that are all about making plans. And when we had planned out this series in Proverbs six months ago, no one could have known just how timely a passage like this would be. All of us are being taught the hard lesson, whether we like it or not, that we are not sovereign over our schedules, that we do not have the power to make our plans come to fruition. When it comes to planning and making decisions, we are more helpless than we like to think. We are not in control. If we could rewind the last two months, I'm sure you went into March with many plans in place. I'm sure your schedule was full. For myself, I I was in the process of planning two seminars and one retreat, and I was planning on attending two conferences. Of course, they've all been canceled. And my family and my in-laws were planning out a, a cruise this summer, which obviously we're not going on anymore. And I'm sure you have a similar story to tell of your best laid plans waylaid by this pandemic. And so we're all in the same boat. We're all dealing with the same disruption to our plans, and it's teaching us all the same lesson. And so what I want to do this morning is to build on that lesson and to allow the scriptures to interpret our shared experience. I'd like to give you a biblical perspective on how to make plans for your life, knowing now the limits of your control. I think it's actually a blessing that now none of us are under the illusion that we are sovereign over our own schedules. And I hope all of us will be humbled enough to acknowledge that the Lord is. That's the testimony of the church. We worship and serve a sovereign Lord who is sovereign over us, sovereign over our schedules and plans. And so as we look at our text this morning at Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, I want to give you three takeaways for how we ought to make plans as servants of a sovereign Lord. First, we have to recognize the limits of our best laid plans. Second, we have to check our attitude when making those plans. And third, we need to know where to rest our confidence once those plans are set. So let's start with our first point, to recognize that your best laid plans will only serve to advance the Lord's plans. Recognize 
that you can make all the plans you want. You can fill up your calendar. You can set your goals. You can make your resolutions. But for all the freedom that we have to make our plans, in the end, we are advancing God's plans. That's the main point of these Proverbs, starting in verse 1 all the way to verse 9. Uh, those two verses, verse 1 and 9, are similar, and they kind of function like bookends. They both address the relationship between our plans and God's sovereignty. So here's verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue, your speech, is from the Lord. And here's verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So what we see is that in both verses, we make plans in our heart. The heart, you have to understand, was understood biblically to be the control center of a person, including our thinking and feeling and, 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 and willing, our thoughts, emotions, and intent. But notice that contrasting conjunction. But the outcome is in God's control. The main idea is that the Lord is sovereign over all that you say or do. Your speech and your steps are ultimately established by God. They're directed by him to advance his plans. Let's just consider a biblical example. In John chapter 11, right after Lazarus was raised from the dead, the Jewish high council convened to plot against Jesus. And as they were bickering with each other about what to do about him, Caiaphas, the high priest, spoke up. And this is John chapter 11, verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So notice that Caiaphas spoke. He made a speech and who knows if he came up with it on the spot or if he had been mulling over it for some time, but he spoke. And he devised a plan to kill Jesus. But notice in verse 51, it says he did not say this of his own accord. It says that he had prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. So as he made his speech to argue for his plan to kill Jesus, the answer from his tongue was from the Lord. That's how it works. Or think of uh, the Old Testament prophet Balaam uh, and what happened in his story in Numbers chapter 23 and 24. The, the king of Moab kept paying Balaam, trying to get the prophet to speak a curse against Israel. But each time Balaam opened his mouth to speak, the answer of the tongue turned into a blessing for Israel instead. In the end, his speech only served to advance the Lord's plans. And that's really what chapter 16, verse 1, is implying about our words. And then in verse 9, it draws the same implication when it comes to our actions. 
And if you want to consider another proverb, listen to proverb chapter 19, verse 21, which says that the Lord is sovereign over all of our plans. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Our best laid plans only serve to advance the Lord's sovereign purposes. But please hear me out. These proverbs are not meant to discourage human planning, but they are meant to humble humans in their planning. To remember that our plans will come to nothing if they are not established by the Lord. Now, friends, I understand that whenever you teach on this subject, when you teach on divine sovereignty, it's going to raise some sticky questions about human freedom, on the other hand. If God is sovereign and if his purposes always stand, then are we really able to form real plans and to make genuine decisions? Well, the biblical answer is, Yes, the Bible sees no contradiction in affirming God's sovereignty over our plans and our freedom to make plans. The biblical portrait of humanity depicts us as free moral agents who are free to act upon our own desires and intentions. Even though God is clearly portrayed as sovereign over all, we are not depicted as machines that that merely carry out pre-programmed instructions. Just think about it. A machine is not a free moral agent. You, You don't hold a machine responsible if its programming fails. You hold the programmer responsible. But according to Scripture, when human beings fail, when when we sin, God is not held responsible. We are. We are judged for our sins. And so that means the Bible is treating us as free moral agents who are fully responsible for our actions. The Bible does not treat us like machines. So just look at our passage. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 2 again. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. In other words, we always assume that our motives are pure, but it's the Lord who's going to be the one to weigh them. He's going to test our motives. He's going to judge our motives. Now, if that's true, if our motives matter, then that means God is treating us as free moral agents. So both truths stand together. The Lord is fully sovereign over our plans, and we are fully responsible for our plans and for our motives behind those plans. I think what's going to help you to reconcile these two truths is to consider that theological concept that I've taught you before. It's called the doctrine of concurrence. Now, if you're not familiar with it, then you might be familiar with the more commonly known doctrine of providence. Providence teaches that the Lord's sovereign hand directs all the events and outcomes of life. And so that's what we mean when we speak of God's providence working itself out in your life. Well, now if you add to it the idea of concurrence, Well, it basically explains how God's providence is compatible with human freedom and responsibility. The word concurrence 
It means to run or to flow together. It's, it's like when two or more currents flow concurrently within the same mighty river. And so the classic example is the story of Joseph. There, there were many currents of human intent taking place in his story. There was the current of his brother's evil intent. And then there was the current of the slave traders and their actions. And then there was the current of Potiphar's wife and her deception. But not once did God in the story violate human freedom. In the end, all of those currents, all of those multiple motives flowed seamlessly together in the one river of God's providence. All those characters meant evil against Joseph, but God meant it all for good. Concurrence explains how God is able to work his hand in all things without forcing human hands against our will and without excusing human hands from our responsibility. This is why we are still responsible to make careful, thoughtful plans for our future. So there's no excuse to, to resign yourself to, to some kind of fatalistic determinism where, where you just kind of fall into passivity and, and you don't put in the real effort. No, you are still responsible to do the hard work, to think carefully and to research your options and to solicit good advice and to plan accordingly. So if you don't know what you're going to do uh, after graduation, or after you retire, or if you don't know where that relationship you're in is going, or if you don't know when you're going to start a family or how you're going to educate your family, your kids, especially if this pandemic lasts through the summer, well, don't expect the answer to be just written in the clouds. Don't expect God to just drop preset plans in your lap. You're going to have to make some plans. But as servants of a sovereign Lord, as we make these plans, we've got to recognize our limits. We have to realize that our best laid plans only serve to advance his sovereign purposes. And of course, we're still responsible to make plans. But now with this understanding of his sovereignty, it's going to shape our attitude when making them. And so this leads to our second point. Make your, plan, your plans carefully but then yield them submissively to the Lord's plans. Make your plans carefully, but then yield them submissively to the Lord's plans. That is, make all of your thoughtful, careful plans, make decisions, form a game plan, uh, create a timeline. But since you know that God is sovereign and he directs all of our plans, then we should ultimately yield them to the Lord, trusting him to establish our plans while recognizing he could also change them. This is the attitude that's commended for us in verse three. Look at verse three. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Some translations say your plans will succeed. Others say your plans will be achieved. That is, if you commit your work and your plans to the Lord. That word for commit literally means to roll something. 
it's, it's used in the Old Testament to describe the rolling of a stone, like a stone that, that would cover up the mouth of a well. And so to commit your work to the Lord means that you do all the hard work of planning and scheduling and mapping out a future for yourself. But in the end, in the end, you, you roll those plans into God's hands to let him establish them or to change them. You see, to commit your work to the Lord is not about asking God to simply bless your plans. It's about yielding. Yielding your plans to God. You've rolled them into his hands. That means you now recognize that he has all the control. He has all control over your plans. Here's, a, here's another biblical example. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read about David making plans to build a, a temple for the Lord in the city of Jerusalem. His motives are pure. It's all for the glory of God's name. And so even the prophet Nathan assumes it's God's will and he blesses David's plans. But later that night, later that night, the Lord tells Nathan that it's not part of his sovereign plans. And he instructs him to go back to David and tell him that you're not going to be the one to build me a temple. Your offspring is going to build a house for my name. Now, what does David do? Does he just drop all of his plans because he doesn't get to be the one to build it? No. He yields his plans to the Lord. He allows them to be changed. He prepares now for his son to complete the project. He is willing for someone else to get the credit for his good idea. Why? Because he has already yielded his plans to the Lord. He has rolled it into his hands. So maybe you have some great ideas. Maybe you have some excellent plans for your future or for your career, or for your ministry. Well, friends, you know, you can tell if you have committed those plans to the Lord, if you can carry out your plans, yielding to the possibility that you may not be the one who gets to see those plans succeed. Like David, you might be out of the picture when God finally establishes those plans. Are you willing to carry out your present plans knowing that it might be your successor, someone who comes after you, who gets the credit for your good ideas? If not, well, then it means you have yet to commit your plans to the Lord. You need to roll them into his sovereign hands and to accept that what he might do with them might not be what you expect. But if you've committed your plans to the Lord, well, then you can trust. You can trust that he has a deeper, better plan at work in your life. And his sovereign plans probably involve details that you have even yet to consider. Right now, you have no idea what he has in store for you next month, much less next year or five years down the road. I think everyone in the world right now impacted by this pandemic will agree that no one can predict the Lord's sovereign plans. And that's why we shouldn't even try. I think too many well-meaning Christians are wasting their time trying to decipher God's sovereign plans for their lives. One reason why many of us so badly want to know his sovereign plans in advance before they unfold is because we lack confidence to make decisions. 
We are gripped by fear and crippled by indecision. We won't make any plans until we feel like we know what God's will is for our lives. If that describes you, well, then you need to realize that God's sovereign plans are typically not revealed in advance. I mean, sure, there were times in the scriptures where he would reveal his plans in advance through prophecy. But most prophecy in the Bible was not predictive. Biblical prophecy, in essence, is not predictive, but declarative. It's fundamentally about thus says the Lord, not not thus predicts the Lord. The Lord's sovereign plans are usually reserved for the secret things that belong to him. But what he does reveal to us, he reveals to us in his word. We tend to call this his moral will in contrast to his sovereign will. His moral will pertains to his plans for how we ought to live in faithful obedience to his word. And so what this means is that If you're trying to make plans for your future, but you feel crippled by indecision, don't spend all of your time trying to figure out and trying to decipher and discern God's sovereign plans that have yet to unfold. Focus instead on what's in front of you. Focus on the word of God, which I hope is regularly in front of you so that you have a solid working knowledge of his moral will. Study the scriptures. And as you do so, ask yourself, what are the moral, biblical principles that he wants me to live by as one of his servants? And then once you have discerned that, then you go and make your future plans in accordance with those biblical principles. And when your plans are set, then you commit them to the Lord. You roll them into his hands. You yield them to his sovereign will. And accept the fact that he could either establish those plans or change them. And more importantly, you believe the promise that his sovereign plans are better for you, even if you can't see that right now. You know, one of the biggest spiritual lessons that I've learned came about when God changed my best laid plans. When we got married over 15 years ago, my wife and I had plans for a large family, but those plans never came to fruition. Now we were gifted with one amazing daughter, but our plans for multiple children were never established. And to be honest, both my wife and I struggled to believe that God's sovereign plan for our family was better than our own. And as I wrestled with God, asking difficult, bitter questions over a span of many years, one day it finally struck me. I was convicted by the realization that I was trying to play God. I thought I was sovereign over my own schedule and plan for when to start a family and how large that family was going to be. And I realized how bitter I was growing towards God as I I would see him bless those that I perceived were less faithful than me or, or not even people who believed in God and he would give them the very plans that I had wanted for my life. And I came to realize that I didn't really understand grace. 
I mean, sure, I, I, it's not like I believed in salvation by works, but I assumed God's blessing by works. I came to realize that I wouldn't have learned these lessons unless God didn't establish my plans, but instead established his better plans for me and my family. I needed to change my perspective. I needed to change the way I evaluated what's better and what's more important. What if growing my faith is better and more important than growing my family? That was a hard but needed lesson to learn. And the bottom line is that all of us need to be humbled in some way, shape, or form. We need to learn that we are not sovereign over our plans. That God is. And so we should make those plans. But then we need to hold them loosely. We need to yield them submissively to the Lord. Roll them into his hands. And to trust in his better plans for us. So when it comes to making plans for the future, we need to see the, the limits of our best laid plans. We need to make those plans carefully and submissively yielding to the Lord's better plans. And friends, the last takeaway, the last takeaway is about where we rest our confidence once those plans are set and we're ready to pursue them. This is our final point. Rest in the knowledge that nothing can thwart God's plans, not even the wicked and their wicked acts. We know by now that our plans can be overturned by God as he's working out his plans for our good. But friends, we can rest assured that there is no chance that God's plans will be overturned by the will of evil men or by even the devil himself. That's what we see in verse 4 of our text. Look with me at chapter 16, verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. In other words, there is nothing in this world that is not God-ordained. Everything has a purpose. Everything plays a part in the unfolding providence of the Lord, even the wicked and their wicked acts. I like how one commentator puts it. He says, there are ultimately no loose ends in God's world. Everything will be put to some use and matched with its proper fate. There are no loose ends. Everything has a purpose. That means nothing can thwart the purposes of God, not even sinful rebellion. And I think that's a comforting thought. It brings so much relief because, because no matter how carefully we make our plans, no matter how much we commit them to the Lord, we know that there are so many variables in life that can change them. There are sinful people, including ourselves, that can mess up plans. And there are unforeseen events from simple mishaps to life-altering pandemics that can throw a wrench in our best laid plans. And that's why it's so comforting to read here in verse 4 that the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked and their wicked acts. Thank God that the sovereign plans of the Lord don't depend on everyone perfectly playing their part, on everyone sticking to the script and hitting their cues. Thank God that he works well with bad actors. We already see this play out in all the drama in Joseph's life. 
in the book of Genesis and his brothers and their wicked deeds were used by God to accomplish his greater purposes. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. And think as well of Habakkuk and his complaint about the Babylonians. If you've ever read his short book in the Old Testament, it is just one sustained question of how a holy God could possibly use a wicked people like the Babylonians to accomplish his good plans. But that's exactly what he does, as we're told in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. It was the Lord who gave the king of Judah, his own people, into the hands of a proud and wicked king of Babylon. Clearly, God works with bad actors. And still his drama of redemption plays out perfectly without a flaw. And of course, friends, this drama of redemption comes to a climax in the New Testament at the cross where Jesus was crucified by the hands of wicked men. There were plenty of bad actors involved. You have Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Roman soldiers, the Jewish high council, and the bloodthirsty crowd. And all of them were acting against Jesus in their own way. But listen, listen to how the first Christians understood what was taking place. Listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 27 to 28. This is as the disciples are praying and they say, quote, For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Listen, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So each of these bad actors are either mocking Jesus, betraying him, abandoning him, torturing him, and of course, executing him. But nobody's hand was forced. Nobody was made to do what they didn't want to do. Yet in the end, in the end, they were all doing whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. They were only serving to advance God's purposes. Friends, if God couldn't use bad people to accomplish his good plans, then we would all be without hope. But the good news of the gospel is that God did use bad people to make salvation in Christ an accomplished reality. And then he applies that reality, that salvation to bad people like us, people who repent and turn away from our badness and trust in Christ for his goodness. That's our only hope. Friends, the cross of Christ is the clearest sign that the Lord is sovereign over all things, including evil. And it proves without a shadow of doubt that nothing can thwart his plans, not even the murder of his own son. If God could accomplish so much good out of so much evil, then how much more can he work all things together for good in all the plans and details of your life. That would include sins 
committed against you and even sins that you commit. That would include a loss of employment and even the loss of a loved one. That would include a pandemic that threatens to upend our way of life and even an uncertain future where we're not sure if things are ever going to go back to normal. Friends, we can make our plans and then commit them to the Lord, roll them into his hands, and now rest your confidence in the knowledge that his will will be done. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this comforting word from your scriptures. Thank you for the clear reminder that you are sovereign over us, that you and your sovereign plans for our lives will never be thwarted. They will be accomplished according to your timing in accordance to your good will towards us. So help us to trust, help us to move forward, making plans, making schedules, thinking through all the details of our lives. But as we have those plans, help us to hold them loosely, yielding them to you. Oh Lord, we pray that your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.